Hi, and welcome to another Room and Room podcast. Great to have you join us. Presented by myself, Dr. Charlotte Westwood, and proudly sponsored by PGG Rights and Seeds, our Room and Room podcasts cover off a huge range of topics all to do with the nutrition of ruminant species, mainly focusing on the nutrition of cattle and sheep in New Zealand-based systems. So in this, our latest podcast, we are going to take a look at the age-old and sometimes controversial topic in New Zealand at least, and that is the topic of DCAD, dietary cationic anionic difference, as it relates to the diet of springing dairy cows. So that's in the last three to four weeks of pregnancy before cows calve down. DCAD describes uh, one aspect of the springer diet, particularly as it relates to the content of potassium and sodium relative to chloride and sulfur. Now, as mentioned, DCAD is short for the term dietary cationic anionic difference, so that's D-C-A-D for dietary cationic difference. Some listeners tuning in may call this DCAB, so that's obviously the same thing, but saying dietary cationic anionic balance, which of course is just the same as difference, but hey, we'll, we'll be talking about DCAD with a D, but whatever works for you. So what are we going to cover in this DCAD episode? Well, look, first up, appreciate some of you may not have heard of DCAD. So to start, we'll define just what DCAD is and to more succinctly define to which stock class this is most relevant, the spring of dairy cow. Moving on after that, we'll unpack the different parts of the DCAD approach or the DCAD equation because it is mathematically calculated and briefly look at why there are actually several different ways to calculate DCAD. But uh, to conclude in that section, why we reckon what we call equation one out of several different equations available to us is the go for us here in New Zealand. We'll then move on to how we think or understand how the DCAD of a Springer diet can hopefully reduce the risk of hypocalcemia in dairy cows just before and just after calving, but acknowledging that usually adjusting the DCAD of the Springer diet in order to reduce risk of metabolic disease, typically that works alongside other important risk factors for metabolic diseases in cows through calving. Therefore, how we shouldn't look at DCAD of a Springer diet in isolation as the one and only approach to managing risk of metabolic disease. But yeah, we'll go through that in more detail. And finally, we'll finish up with some of the practical approaches to managing DCAD for us here in New Zealand, where in a pasture-based system, for many of our uh, farming systems here in New Zealand, we often don't have full control over what our Springer cows eat during the days and weeks leading into calving and how that can make managing risk of metabolic disease sometimes problematic where you're not dealing with, for example, a full total mixed ration, TMR, or partial mixed ration, PMR on a feed pad. And of course, we have to, again, as we do in a lot of our other podcasts, here is our standard disclaimer about the content of this DCAD-focused podcast, and just reminding you that the content of this podcast is, of course, of a very generic nature and is by no means intended to replace the excellent advice of your qualified dairy nutritionist and or experienced dairy veterinarian. And of course, the other thing we have to say here is just because we're focusing only about DCAD for this podcast, we're in no way endorsing that DCAD is the perfect approach for your herd or for you. 
particularly as we've said, there is a huge range of different approaches to managing a high incidence of metabolic disease out and about there in the market. If you're interested in understanding that whole range of different approaches to working on hypocalcemia problems in your cows through, during and after calving, we'd suggest that you go back and listen to episode 34 titled Reducing Risk of Low Blood Calcium at Calving. And in that episode, we talk about those whole range of different approaches to managing metabolic disease, including but not limited to adjusting the decad of your Springer cow diet, sometimes called lead feeding if you're listening into it from Australia. But anyway, let's get this podcast underway. First up, let's define in more detail just what decad or dietary cationic anionic difference is as it relates to the Springer diet. Well, if you'd already listened to episode 34, you'll remember that decad of Springer diets uh, is just that one approach to managing hypocalcemia. And like we say, go back and have a listen to that if you haven't already done so. In this, our latest episode, we drill down into more detail about decad as just being one approach to managing risk of hypocalcemia before calving. What is DCAD? Let's define this. Well, as the term suggests, DCAD defines the different or relatively different amounts of dietary cations and dietary anions in the diet of your Springer dairy cows. Now you're going to say, come on Charlotte, what are cations and anions? And look, that's a really good question. So to define that, we have to go back to the first couple of years at high school or secondary school for you. Some of those really boring old science classes, or perhaps chemistry if you did sciences further through your secondary school education. Now you might remember that thing called the periodic table which arranges all of the chemical elements in order of increasing atomic number. And probably like me, you had to memorise the first 20 elements or atoms, starting with hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron. <laughs> so I seem to remember learning those things. Someone must have told me to say, to remember how to learn those periodic table uh, elements or atoms. Harry, he likes beer, brown, cold, not over frothy. So that lines up with hydrogen, helium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, fluorine. Anyway, I'm digress, but seriously, it certainly helped me to, <laughs> to learn it, and I do remember it even to this day. Anyway, enough of that. But from a DCAD point of view, we're most interested in four of the chemical elements found in the periodic table and also found in the diet of Springer cows. And we've already mentioned this briefly, but the first two are sodium and potassium. Those are cations. And the two anions, periodic table or in the Springer diet, are sulfur and chloride. Sodium and potassium being cations means that they carry a positive charge. Now, the way that I try to remember which are cations and which are anions is I think kind of like you have on a car battery, the positive terminal has a cross, like a T on it, right? And fortuitously, it's in the middle of the word cat iron, also has a T in the middle of it. That's the way I remember which one's cation, positive, uh, versus which one anion, which is negative. And I've got no clue how to remember that, but it's anything but, but not the cation. So these are the four uh, chemical elements that contribute to decat, sodium, potassium, cations, positive, and sulfur and chloride, they're the anions. Now, there are a range of equations, mathematical equations out there to calculate the decad of a diet, and the majority will use all four of potassium, sodium, chloride, and sulfur. We in New Zealand like to use what we call equation number one, which includes just those four elements, 
the two cations, two anions, but appreciating that if you Google decad equations or decab with a B equations, you'll find a number of them with different variations. Some contain calcium and magnesium, some uh, exclude sulfur. Anyway, we're talking about equation number one, which contains the four of them. Like any mathematical equation, decad's calculated by determining the difference in the amounts, if you'd like, of cations compared to anions. So the amounts of potassium and sodium relative to sulfur and chloride. And these are defined when you do go to Google or you have a look in a feed formulation program or you look at the results on your feed test analyses. They're defined as milliequivalents, MEQ, of potassium plus sodium added together then subtracting the milliequivalents of amounts of the anions, sulfur and chloride. So it's kind of an equation that adds up to an amount that's either positive or negative milliequivalence total for those four cations or anions. Now, because it's a podcast, usually by now I'd be having my crayons out and having a wee scribble to try and illustrate what we mean. But because we're a podcast, if you can imagine this, let's compare the decad equation to a seesaw at your local playground. Now, if on the seesaw that's either tipped down with a, with a heavier person on one end versus the other, we have a seesaw that we have potassium, and sodium, now the cations sitting on one end of the seesaw at the playground, and we've got sulfur and chloride sitting on the other end of the seesaw. And depending on the amounts of the cations relative to the anions, or vice versa, the amounts of anions relative to cations, the seesaw could be, for example, perfectly balanced, and that would be a decad of zero. Or if you have lots and lots of cations, a lot of potassium, a lot of sodium, the seesaw will be held down right to, to ground level on, on one side and the anion end will be up, up in the air. So if your cations ex exceed the milliequivalence of anions, you're going to have a strongly positive decad. So it could be plus 500 milliequivalents, even up to plus 800 milliequivalents per kilogram dry matter in your diet. That's a very high decad that increases risk of milk fever. On the other hand, if you don't have many cations in the diet, specifically sodium, potassium, but you have higher levels of chloride and sulfur, the seesaws tip the other way with the anions down at ground level and the cations dangling their legs up in the air on the other end of a seesaw. So uh, we'd normally do the equation together, but hopefully the seesaw kind of comparison makes a little bit of sense. If we have a positive decad diet that increases risk of milk fever or hypocalcemia in cows. In a nutshell, four springer or close-up dairy cows, some of you uh, may call them, so that's within four weeks of calving, the last four weeks of gestational pregnancy before a cow calves. What we need if you follow the decad idea of how to reduce risk of hypocalcemia in your cows, we're looking for either a negative decad so that's the seesaw with more weighting on the anion side, the sulfur or chloride. Or we can probably handle in some situations if it's a slightly positive decad. So it's not it's not perfectly balanced, but it's a little bit weighted down to the cation, the, the potassium and sodium side. Pretty close. Now, realistically, here in New Zealand, even though many, if not all of you, will be dating your pregnancies and have some really nice drafting skills of getting springers into the springer mob for as long as we can. Realistically, many of our cows are only actually in the springer mob for perhaps two weeks. <laughs> and obviously some cows are only in there for a number of days before they calve. But yeah, the theory of DCAD is that springers need to be in the springer mob being exposed to low, positive and preferably negative DCAD diets for 
up to four weeks before calving. Now, we've got to be careful with this because, ironically, we don't want springing dairy cows or cows, uh, late gestation cows, being exposed to springer diets for more than four weeks. Because, ironically, if you have a cow that isn't springing yet but you drop her in with the springers and she's exposed to a negative decad diet for more than four weeks, that ironically will increase risk of hypocalcemia or milk fever, not decreases. So we want that ideally up to four weeks, from four weeks through to calving, and if in doubt, have them a little bit shorter time in the spring mob exposed to decad diets than too long. Too long can do more harm than good. What about the rest of the different stages of the lactation and reproductive cycle of a dairy cow? Apart from the springer period and that last four weeks of pregnancy through to calving, we don't even think about DCAT. I'm not interested in the DCAT of the diet. And for early lactation cows through to peak lactation, we must not have a negative DCAT diet for early lactation through to peak lactation cows because... We want a positive decad diet once a cow is calved. If we continue to expose milking cows, lactating cows, to a negative or low positive decad diet, we do run the risk of cows continuing to inadvertently try and mobilise calcium from their bones instead of after calving. We want them, certainly once they've gone through peak lactation, to be laying down and replenishing bone reserves, not, not stripping that out. If we have a negative decad diet being fed for prolonged periods of time to early to peak lactation dairy cows, this may actually increase risk of a condition called osteoporosis or thinner, fragile bones, which is not ideal. Even if there's no fractures happening, it just means that the cows will not replenish or lay down calcium in time to calve again next calving, and they run the risk of having increased risk of metabolic disease next year. So the take-home, we only want a low positive or negative decad just before calving, that last four weeks before calving, and never feed a negative decad diet or spring a diet with low to negative decad diets to lactating cows. They must have a positive decad after they calve. So I've got a little bit ahead on ourselves here. Let's circle back to why we want, in some situations when we're looking to control hypocalcemia in cows just before, through and just after calving, why do we want a negative decad if you're following the decad approach? Now, just remembering negative decad, low dietary sodium and potassium in a springer diet, and to a point that we'll talk about shortly, potentially higher levels of sulfur and chloride. Well, the mechanisms by which this works, based on all the research that's been done probably since the 1950s, when it was first um, noticed that diets that had been treated with hydrochloric acid were capable of reducing risk of hypercalcemia. Don't try that at home. Don't put hydrochloric acid in with your diet, please. But researchers back in the day, what a negative or low positive decad diet will do will potentially influence the pH of the blood of springer cows. Now pH, again, oh, back to science lessons, that simply defines the level of either acidity, so that's a slightly lower pH, or alkalinity, that's a slightly higher pH in the blood of our cows. And many of you have probably heard of pH as it relates to rumen acidosis, for example, the pH of the rumen. What we're talking about here has nothing to do with rumen pH, this is all to do with slight changes in the blood pH. So a little bit more about this um, shortly. 
Now, normally cows that eat a lot of pasture, perhaps eat, a, you know, in, in a UK or European system, eat a lot of pasture silage, hay. But for our New Zealand cows that are exposed to a lot of ryegrass pasture that contains typically a lot of potassium, that means that our cows run a relatively high blood pH that is certainly higher than neutral. So on the scale up to 14 of pH, neutral is defined as 7. It's obviously halfway between totally acid and totally uh, alkaline. And the blood pH in a New Zealand cow eating a lot of high potassium ryegrass sits probably around upwards of 7.4, even 7.5, with the typical range being 7.35 to 7.5. So even uh, in, in a total mixed ration corn or maize silage-based diet, diet in the States, your blood pH could still be anywhere from 7.35 to 7.5. There's no such thing as a neutral blood pH, pH for cows. So the normal pH for a New Zealand cow who is eating a lot of high potassium ryegrass is probably closer to 7.5, and we term this as the cow being in a state of mild alkalosis, so slightly higher blood pH compared to a cow in a barn in America that's consuming a lot of grain, a lot of corn silage, and uh, perhaps a little bit of uh, lucerne or otherwise alfalfa. Now, for almost all of the year, the mild alkalosis, that's slightly higher than neutral, is absolutely fine for a dairy cow. She's perfectly happy, healthy. Everything works absolutely fine. And she manages to regulate this relatively normal blood pH absolutely fine. Now, the reason that a higher, slightly higher blood pH is not so good for a Springer cow is if that Springer cow is running the higher blood pH she's run for the other days of the year, during the Springer period when she's approaching calving, is that the higher blood pH does potentially mess with the ability of the cow to adequately maintain appropriately high levels of blood calcium as she's approaching calving. So as she's approaching calving, she's springing. In other words, the udder is filling up with, with beautiful nutrient-dense colostrum. And within the nutrient-dense dense colostrum that she's secreting, there are very high levels of calcium, two to two and a half times the level uh, as you'll find in mid-lactation milk. And of course, the calf's still on board inside mum's tum, and the calf is taking on a final amount of calcium top-up to finalise the calcification of the skeleton, so that calf's all good to go when it's born. So all of that drain on calcium pre-calving means that the cow really needs to get her act together on holding up her blood calcium levels. And as well as that, she needs to be all primed up with an ability to more completely improve uptake of calcium from the intestines, from, from the diet, and to mobilise calcium from bones and teeth at the point that we milk her out for the very first time after she's calved. So if a Springer diet is low positive or negative decad, results in an ever so slightly lower blood pH. So in other words, we're inducing a mild systemic acidosis compared to the rest of the times of the year when her blood pH is coming from, particularly from high potassium ryegrass, at the higher level, perhaps 7.4, 7.5. How does this work, Charlotte? Well, this is getting into quite a technical one, so hang on if you're, if you're driving in the track to take a breath of fresh air, now take a swig on your coffee. The good thing about the slight reduction in blood pH with a low positive or negative decad springer diet is that it allows some really cool kind of metabolic magic stuff to happen. First up, 
with a slightly acidic blood pH. It's it's not truly acidic lower than neutral, but it might be like 0.1 or 0.15 lower than when she's eating a lot of potassium, is that the first thing is, is that there's one hormone now, it's called parathyroid hormone or PTH, and what that hormone does is it talks to the bones, it flows around in the blood and chats to the bones, but also to the kidneys of the cow. If that PTH is really, really active, the, the kidneys start to do their own magic and churn out heaps of what we call vitamin D3, the active form of vitamin D that in turn convinces bones to slightly start to dissolve. Sounds a bit scary, but it'll be rebuilt after she's calved. Dissolving the bones just a little bit to release calcium into the blood. A bit of phosphorus and other stuff as well, but we'll just talk about calcium. So the magic of PTH talks more effectively to the bones and to the kidneys in turn, vitamin D3 is released, very active form of vitamin D3 that helps the cow to more successfully regulate blood calcium. On the other hand, if blood pH stays very high, so if we have a springer cow eating a lot of very high potassium grass and not much else, the blood pH stays higher, the parathyroid hormone, PTH, is less able to effectively talk to the bones and the kidneys and the whole process doesn't start to get primed up and it just stays shut down and that's why a cow's more likely to go down with milk fever. Possibly worst case in the springer mob, but certainly when you milk her out at the first or second milking after she's calved. Sorry that was a bit complicated, but look, that long story short, a low positive or negative decad acts to prime or kickstart the ability of the cow to mobilise calcium from bones or teeth. As well, it improves that uptake of calcium from the intestines. So by the time that real demand of calcium kicks in, when you milk her out for the first time, she's less likely to go down with low levels of calcium uh, when she's in the colostrum mob, or as I say, sometimes even while the calf's still on board. So I've already alluded to high potassium ryegrass probably being the classic feed that we commonly feed in New Zealand that contributes to a higher decad in the diet that can sometimes cause problems for us with springer diet design. What about other feeds? Well, quite honestly, decad will be all over the place depending on the design of your pre-calving diet, specifically what feeds are you feeding to the springer cows. And indeed, if you're feeding a 100% pasture diet to springers, or in fact, on the other hand, you're fully supplementing cows on a feed pad and you're fully controlling what the springers are consuming, which is more likely the case, uh, for example, southeastern Australia. First up, let's look at the role for pasture and springer diets and why they are risky when we're looking at trying to control metabolic disease by following the DCAT approach. With most of the pasture here based on ryegrasses, the decad of pastures are typically high. You could be plus 300. You could be, as I say, the highest one I've seen is plus 800. Probably some of you out there might have seen even higher ones. Now, bless the ryegrass plants. They're agronomically a very versatile plant. We're very grateful to have them uh, in our temperate zones, producing lots of lovely feed. The issue is when there's a lot of soil potassium that's available to the plants, these ryegrasses love to vacuum all that potassium up in an absolute luxuriant manner and hold of all of that potassium in the green leaf. So when we're talking about how high is high, um, let's say if cows only need 1% to 1.5% potassium, that's all they need for their metabolic processes. I've seen some pastures coming in containing 55 or even 6% potassium. So in other words, for every kilogram of dry matter, you could have 55 to 60 grams of potassium. That's a huge amount of potassium, well over and above what the cow needs. Now, these very unusually high levels are quite often seen on effluent paddocks. 
So that's all of uh, your effluent pond. It's a, a mixture um, predominantly of faeces and urine that's come hosed down off the yards or off the feed pad, which of course is the key reason that I know all of you will be fully aware of why we don't want to carve our springing dairy cows down on effluent paddocks. Also because we have higher levels of nitrogen in the effluent paddocks and that also reduces uptake of magnesium. That's a process unrelated to DCAD. But sticking specifically to DCAD for this podcast, that's why high potassium levels will accumulate in effluent paddocks. Now the other place I've seen high potassium levels in pasture is perhaps dairy farms that are close to dairy factories here in New Zealand, the seasonality of our calving, and at times of a year when there's a lot of milk that's being processed, a lot of whey comes out and is applied to pasture and whey is very high in potassium. So if your farm historically has had a lot of whey applied over the years, that you probably have high potassium in your pastures, which will influence not only DCAD becoming more strongly positive and therefore increase, increasing risk of metabolic disease, but also the potassium interferes with uptake of magnesium. Other high potassium feeds to be avoided as springer feeds would include further north in New Zealand, Kaikuyu pastures, so you may be autumn calving. And Kaikuyu pastures, the Kaikuyu grass, just like ryegrass, loves to vacuum up spare potassium from the soil in an utterly luxuriant manner. And levels of potassium in, in Kaikuyu can actually be higher to those found in ryegrass of sort of 7, even 7.5% potassium. Other obvious feeds to avoid for springers is, of course, anything to do with lucerne. So lucerne silage and baleage, possibly lucerne hay. Now that contains not only high levels of potassium, typically, as for legumes, we need to feed them a lot of potassium to get them growing and yielding well, but lucerne feeds also contain high calcium. Now how high calcium is another story another day, and ironically, as we'll talk about shortly, in some situations we want high calcium in a springer diet, particularly if you're running a negative DCAD and we have a diet uh, based on things that contain low calcium such as maize silage, more about this shortly. However, on average, leucine may increase risk and it's probably less so the calcium in it, more so the typically high levels of, of potassium. But of course you can find this about your, uh, your foragers that may contain high potassium by, of course, running feed tests. We'll talk more about that shortly too. Other pre-carving feeds that may need to be off limits, uh, I've already mentioned whey, and for example, here in New Zealand, we still do feed delactosed whey. It's just a product uh, of the, the cheese manufacturing process, and that whey contains crazily high levels of potassium. So an absolute no-no for cows before calving, and in fact, aside from the decad, the fact that that binds up magnesium uptake from the cow, it may be that delactose whey is off limits for very freshly calved cows, certainly the colostrum cows as well. So that's the potassium side of it. The sodium side of it, it tends to be the potassium that drives New Zealand ryegrass-based pastures up very, very high. But of course, if you have a lot of salt spray applied to pastures, you'll get high sodium levels. But because that's coming on board pastures as sodium chloride, which is salt from sea spray, you've got both sides of the equation. So there's a chance your sodium will be on the seesaw balanced out by the chloride that's coming with it. But again, if in doubt, the feed tests of your coastal pastures that pick up a lot of salt uh, can tell you what's the risk factor there and then you can do your decad calculation. So we've talked about sodium and potassium. And on average, don't put sodium in your springer diet. 
say, for example, if you're putting sodium bicarb, I'd advise against that if you are following the DCAD story, because obviously sodium bicarb is CO3 and uh, an H and sodium. That's going to make the DCAD of the diet more positive, putting sodium bicarb. So if you're looking at that for a buffer reason, talk to your nutrition, qualified nutritionist uh, or experienced vet to look at alternate options for your Springer diet if you are following the DCAD approach. What about other feeds? We've talked about the high DCAD feeds. What are some good feeds for Springers that can make diets lower DCAD? Well, the main one here in New Zealand is maize silage, otherwise known as corn silage, uh, for listeners offshore. Now, that contains low levels of calcium, low levels of magnesium, low levels of potassium, nice one, but also low levels of protein. So because it's low in lots of stuff, it's good not just to use maize silage to get your decad down in your spring of diets and ignore all the other stuff, the moving parts that shift with it when you start feeding more maize silage to cows of spring. So you do need some assistance, well, I'd suggest, to get the diet just right. And indeed, a maize silage-based diet will drop the, the decad, but you still will need other stuff to get it even lower because even maize silage still remains low positive decad. Other good things, uh, back in the day, we used to get a lot of wet brewer's grains. That's fantastic as uh, pulling your decad down on the spring of diet. Unfortunately, we don't get a lot of that available in the market anymore. But there are other feeds uh, that can work quite well. We've talked a lot about all of these other feeds on one side of the decad seesaw. What about when we talk about the anionic side? So remembering the anions on the seesaw that pull it down in the other direction are sulfur and chloride. First, before we start talking about feed additives, from a feed point of view, there are a few feeds that can add weight to the anionic side of the seesaw. For example, feed-grade molasses, byproduct from sugarcane manufacture. The irony is that the sulfur levels can be really, really high, but unfortunately, so can the potassium content. So whilst we'd argue feed-grade is good for lots of sulfur in the diet, unfortunately, it's got the hiccup of it's also got high potassium. That said, it's usually around about that plus 200, plus 220 uh, on the decad. So it's still useful for pulling down the overall diet. And for example, if you've got a feed wagon and you're putting anionic salts in that aren't so tasty that we'll talk about shortly, obviously feed grain molasses is great for, for keeping springers, keeping their appetite up. Moving from the feeds, if you've got questions about other feeds, just jump on over into the room and room and post a post. It's gone very quiet in there lately, so we'd love to hear from you if you want to know more about different feeds of decads. Leaving the feeds behind themselves, we'll move into the subject uh, of, I suppose we call it broadly, anionic salts, which not it's, it's given these products that are much broader and better than straight anionic salts, but we'll call them anionic salts. There's a huge range of products available in New Zealand nowadays, certainly compared to 20 years ago when really the, the products are very limited out there. And for these proprietary products, there is such a huge range now commonly available. What we don't want to do is go into specific feeding rates or specific recommendations from a quantitative or prescriptive point of view, because that's not appropriate for a podcast. And of course, if you're questioning um, someone who will be supplying these products, they will give you the advice about how to deliver these feeds to cows, uh, some of the pros and cons. They may help you do the actual decad diet by doing some feed testing with you and that side of it. So it's, it's, we, we can't be that prescriptive here today. 
But uh, yeah, acknowledging there are a range of compounds out there that will loosely bring together under the banner of anion salts. But uh, as I say, usually these products have got a whole lot of extra cool stuff on them aside from, from just the products to drop decad. Now, if we think about salts, you're probably going to be pleasantly surprised that you're already familiar with some of these because probably our two most well-known anionic salts fed here in New Zealand purely for delivering magnesium are the salts magnesium chloride, MagC, and you go, oh yeah, I've heard of that, there you go, that's an anionic salt, and magnesium sulfate, so they're both anionic salts. And they're very good sources of magnesium, typically added through inline water dispensers here in New Zealand to fulfil sometimes parts, sometimes all of the magnesium requirements of cows, and that's nothing to do with DCAD. But the useful thing about magnesium chloride and magnesium sulfate, aside from their good bioavailability of their magnesium in them, these products also have what we call a negative DCAD. So when we use these compounds, they add weight to the anionic side of the DCAD seesaw, starting to slightly balance out the effects of the positive cations, specifically potassium, especially if you've got ryegrass, anything in your diet, uh, pasture or, or baleage or silage. So the thing with the anionic salts, magnesium chloride and magnesium sulfate, they are a, a magnificent source of magnesium, and that's where most of you are probably using them, particularly mag chloride. But they are only, um, like the, the negative value for them on DCAD is not that strongly negative. So it'll work a little bit, and of course in their genuine role for magnesium, but if you're trying to go from a moderately positive DCAD diet and truly get it into a negative DCAD, that is quite hard in New Zealand, especially if you've still got ryegrass in the diet, using magnesium chloride and sulfate alone to try and balance out potassium is quite a hard push uphill. And we get to a certain point where we can't feed too much magnesium chloride or magnesium sulfate because we will overdose the cows with magnesium that will make them go sleepy and sluggish and start to scour. So again, you can use magnesium chloride and sulfate, but there are upper limits, which will depend on what else is in the diet. And I'll defer that conversation back to your qualified dairy nutritionist and or your experienced vet to help with that. Again, it's not for me to be prescriptive here today. There are other anionic salts other than magnesium chloride and magnesium sulfate that also belong under the heading of anionic salts. And these anionic salts I'm going to mention briefly, but I'd strongly recommend that these ones belong uh, firmly in the domain of the feed companies, so experienced uh, feed companies who have got a, a qualified nutritionist consulting and doing uh, product design, rather than just chucking these ones into a mix-on farm. You've got to be very careful. But I will name them. These are the next two that we typically reach for, and probably the main one would be ammonium sulfate, which is more of a negative decad effect than magnesium sulfate, and occasionally um, ammonium chloride, but that's very bitter. So the chloride form, ammonium chloride, is particularly negative, which is very good to start to balance the seesaw or to tip the decad seesaw down to a negative side. But as I say, it can make uh, springer mixes really, really untasty. So the more anionic salts we put in, if we just brought a bag and threw them in uh, with maize silage or something, we run a real risk of stopping cows wanting to eat your springer mix. Now, this is a really important cautionary tale here, and it's to do with if in doubt we do no harm. 
if in doubt any approaches to managing metabolic disease in cows, we can actually cause more of a problem if we stop our cows consuming enough feed before calving and increase risk of metabolic disease. So anionic salts, cool as the decad seesaw is, we've got to be very, very careful uh, what we're doing and understanding the upper limits of what we can put in. It's all very well running a calculation to, in theory, see if anionic salts can make your spring a diet less positive or even negative. But oh my goodness, we can cause all sorts of problems if we aren't very careful. And there's a lot of experienced people out there that will help you in industry. So if in doubt, uh, we'd typically suggest staying with proprietary products that have been designed, very carefully designed, to balance the decad seesaw uh, using a range of different anionic salts or other additives, but also that contains other tasty ingredients as carriers and often will also include flavouring agents that your cows particularly like so that they're happy to continue to eat these products. Now, as well as that, I'm not going to name any products or refer to anything at all, but just acknowledging many of these products, if not all of them, will quite often contain other appropriate ingredients, including specifically magnesium, given that we have real magnesium issues, uh, deficiency issues for cows here in New Zealand through calving. And as well as that, you know, read the back of the bag or talk to the company that's selling you the product and you'll find all sorts of other goodies in there. Could be as simple as trace minerals. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll find vitamin D3, you'll have other goodies in there. And in some cases, calcium that, that we'll come back to next Anionic salts, uh, we've defined some of them. There's obviously other ones out there as well. But the irony is, is that we can have anionic salts, and specifically one called calcium chloride, that acts as both a calcium source and an anionic salt. And calcium chloride is massively negative. It's like putting a 100 kilo big person on the side of the, the decad uh, seesaw on the anionic side. However, calcium chloride is terribly, terribly bitter. It's just bitter. Cows will back off the feed. So in some situations there may be room for a tiny bit of calcium chloride but very much only under the guidance of your trusted raw professional or the person that's selling you a, a product. Another product that is negative decad that is probably more commonly fed here in New Zealand is one called calcium sulfate otherwise known as gypsum. So if you think about it, calcium does not appear in our equation 1 decad, in other words, sodium and potassium on the cation side and sulfur and chloride on the anion side. So calcium sulfate doesn't change the decad from the cation side, even though calcium is truly a cation in its own right, but the sulfur comes in and provides opportunities to work on decad, as well as providing a calcium source if... And this is very important to say, if if your Springer diet has been determined based on the objective advice of your qualified nutritionist or experienced vet, that you do need some calcium in cows. So if you are looking for calcium to Springer cows in the presence of a low or negative decad diet, calcium sulfate's quite a useful one there. But again, that if, I'm putting IF, if um, this has been determined based on feed testing of the diet and overall experience that your advisor has working with that herd or that you've you've learned from the professionals involved with the business over the years exactly what you're doing. And again, calcium chloride, also a calcium source, very strongly negative anionic product, very handy, but you can only feed tiny amounts of it. And to be honest, in most situations, it's don't, don't use it. 
or leave it to the domain of the feed companies. Quick word about lime flour. Um, many of you will probably have fed lime flour and lime flour is calcium carbonate. So you've got calcium and the carbonate is actually an alkalizing agent. So in theory, it works against decant. However, if you have reached a negative decad value with a lot of careful inclusion of other products, sometimes you can use successfully calcium carbonate. In other words, lime flour or lime in Australia, lime flour here in New Zealand, same stuff, finely ground limestone. The main thing is consult with a qualified nutritionist and experienced vet to make sure you're not going to inadvertently increase risk of metabolic disease at calving if levels of calcium in the spring of diet are too high. Another story, another day, the calcium one. How do you measure DCAD? Well, it's as simple as feed testing your various dietary components of your springer diet. So it may be hay that you're feeding, it may be pasture you're feeding in the springer paddock, maybe maize silage you're feeding. Maize silage tends to be quite narrow, a range of DCAD that you'll get. Any other feeds that are going to the springers, you can feed test them. And Hill Laboratories, for example, here in New Zealand, will give you a really nice result on your feed test that will include a calculated DCAD value for you. But the main thing is when you order tests from any feed testing lab that you make sure you tick the box on the right type of feed test that you're asking for. And they won't necessarily say DCAD, but you need to look for those four ones we've talked about, potassium, sodium, chloride and sulphur. If the feed tests that you use don't calculate DCAD for you, at least then you can calculate it yourself. And then by having all of those different feeds, you can go to a spreadsheet-based calculator. The feed formulation programs uh, nutritionists work with will all be able to do this for you as well to give you an overall dietary decad for the combined diet of whatever feeds you've got going to the springers. Now, the decad approach, uh, as I say, qualified nutritionists, preferably working in with your vets as well, uh, if they're experienced in this area, have a chat before you decide to go down the path of the DCAT approach because, as acknowledged in episode 34, there's different ways to approach things and you'll get different advice from different advisors. If you want to go down the path of the DCAT approach, the vets can talk to you about coming out and taking urine samples from your Springer cows or you collect them and your vets might have pH uh, meters that you can dunk in this uh, urine sample and check the pH. And what we're chasing is to slightly reduce the urine pH in your cat, your Springer cows as a way to monitor how well or not your DCAD uh, manipulation of a Springer uh, diet is going. So a lot of published cut points out there follow the advice of your vet or qualified nutritionist, but some of the kind of ballpark that we're talking about would be, say, for on the pH scale for black and white uh, Holstein Frisians or Frisians. We're probably looking at getting your the urine values down from 7 to 8, down instead to 6 to 7 on the scale. And for Jerseys, who are more prone to metabolic issues, specifically hypocalcemia, you might be wanting to chase more like 5.5 to 6.5 urine pH in your springing cows. That's it with the theory of DCAD. It's been a really technical one, this one. So congratulations if you've hung in there with us or just because you've got nothing else to listen to because you forgot to download it and you're out of data. Anyway, well done for getting this far. Summing up, we discussed in episode 34, there are lots of other moving parts happening to a cow at the point of calving and DCAD is therefore only but one strategy for managing the risk of metabolic disease through the calving period. So... 
This podcast will never replace the advice from an experienced, qualified dairy nutritionist. Not all of them are as skilled as others. I'd certainly look for those that are members of New Zealand Association of Ruminant Nutritionists for an endorsement there, NZARN, and or your experienced dairy vet who has enjoys having a dabble in this nutrition space. Talk to them. They may say, rather than DCAD, uh, modification because your your pastures are so high in potassium, decads very hard to get down to the low positives or, or negatives that we're targeting. They may advise some other approach, but lots of other approaches. Just get some advice, really bounce around and, and look at that before you commit to the decad approach. It's probably in the first instance you want to be doing a lot of feed testing and find out what your decad is currently with the strategies that you're using just now. And of course, when we're looking at DCAD, we need to be careful not to ignore the other aspects we have to get right through calving. We need to make sure the cows are getting adequate magnesium. If it's indicated, it may be you need some calcium. And that's I'm not saying that in a broad brush sense, because in many cases that's contraindicated. Don't do it. But again, feed testing, evidence of clinical and subclinical metabolic disease, all those things we'd look at first. If you are struggling with too many cows with hypocalcemia and cows going down with milk fever and metabolic disease through calving, We've talked about, about hypocalcemia, but remembering there's other things involved. Hypomagnesemia, low blood magnesium, uh, hypermagnesemia, too much magnesium, and of course the role for cow condition that will influence risk of ketosis. Low That's low blood sugar and high blood ketones. They're all intricately tangled up with one another and DCAD's just a one approach to managing the challenge. We need to look at all those other bits and pieces at the same time. Anyway, hope that you've enjoyed this topic all about DCAD as but one approach to managing risk of metabolic disease in cows through calving. Hope there's been something of interest here that at least you can go and uh, open a conversation with your vet, with your nutritionist to, to follow up in more detail with them as appropriate. But anyway, great you could join us again today. It's been fabulous having you listening in and I hope that you can tune in and join us again very, very soon. Keep up the good work out and about, whatever you've been up to, whatever you got on the rest of the day. This has been Charlotte Westwood, and on behalf of both myself and our sponsors and loyal supporters, PGG Rights and Seeds, have a fantastic day out and about on the farm. Catch you soon. Cheers. <laughs>